Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) <laughs> Why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Donna, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor before we go to our five questions. I need you to say for me, the bazaar is well and truly open. Because that delivery was so freaking perfect. Here she goes. Trying to find her. The bazaar is well and truly open. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) you. I didn't have many lines, so I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Today's guest is a fellow Bostonian. As a matter of fact, my son goes to the same high school that she attended. She has extensive stage, film, and television credits that range from Sondheim to Star Trek, from The King and I to The Bourne Legacy. She can be seen right now in HBO's Gilded Age. Have you guessed who it is yet? She is an Emmy Award winner. She is a five-time Tony nominee and has won twice for Best Actress as Fosca in Passion and Anna in The King and I. Please welcome Mrs. Caroline Astor herself, Donna Murphy. (laughs) Donna Murphy to stage, please. Can we have Donna to the stage, please? I want your career. Oh, God. I always wanted your career. Everybody wants her career. You have the perfect career. You really do. When we were prepping for this chat, both Mary Lee and I said that. It was because of not only the extensive credits, but it's like you've curated something that everything you do has depth. It's well presented. It's remembered. And yet, and I hope you take this the right way, you can go about your life without Mm -hmm. being bombarded or interrupted. I'm sure thousands of people say, I know you, I know you, I know you. And then it'll come to them. But you really have reached this certain level of working nonstop in all mediums. Yeah. But yet your life isn't interrupted by stardom. Stardom to me holds a heaviness, takes freedom away. Yeah. It's limiting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And you've never been pigeonholed. You, everything no. you've done is so diverse. Mm-hmm. Musicals, dramas, it just Voice across overs. the board, everything. Yep. It's fantastic. You know, I can't thank you enough for that introduction and also just 
the things that both of you had to say. And it's, it's so interesting because I don't know if we, we actually spoke about it, Mary Lee, or just in our texts and emails back and forth said that, you know, I'm in a very different time in my life and not to just sort of dive into what is uh, complicated and has had some darkness in it, but I'm in a different chapter of my life that's very much connected to the illness and the loss of my soulmate, Sean Elliott, who I met when I was 21 years old and we were together 36 years before he died. And he was you know, my best friend, my, my lover, my husband, my partner in everything, parenting. And he's just the person that I trusted the most. We always said that I was a very mature 21-year-old and he was a very immature 40. <laughs> you met in the middle, huh? <laughs> and he thought I was like 30 and I thought he was in his mid-30s. And we both found out from other people how old each other were. We went, ah, this is too much. But anyway, it was meant to be. To get back to career, um, I will say that my choices, once I realized, wow, I'm going to have to be very conscious about my choices or other people are going to, and other circumstances are going to appear to steer my direction. And there's so much about being in this business which is giving up control of the wheel. Yeah. There are yeah. other things that as my as my therapist says, you are in your own little boat. No matter, you know, what the ocean is doing, you still are in your boat. It's your little boat. And you get to make decisions not about the turbulence and the, you know, the conditions, but it's still you. So, you know, in very sort of um superficial ways, I was realizing once I was starting to work as an actress that, oh, wow, whatever I did last, that's what people think I do. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it mm -hmm. always shocked me because in a business that is fueled by, was created by imagination. Right. People within it so often. Limited you. So little. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you right. both know it. We all know it. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, then it's part of my job. Um, is to not only for my own satisfaction, because boring, I'm not interested in. I don't have like a persona that I was excited about. Oh, I want the world to, to meet this, I don't know, persona of Donna Murphy. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm me and I'm the channel through which these different characters come. And I believe we all have the seeds of everything in us. So it's really allowing yourself to find that seed and then doing whatever you do. For me, it's a lot of research and a lot of thinking about the world of this person both. Mm. So preparation is huge for you. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. So you must be having a ball then with the Gilded Age and Mrs. Astor and digging into all of that history. I mean, that's just such a fantastic show. It is so much fun to watch. And it seems like it's going to just go on forever. Yeah, fun. That show has been a blessing because I was able to shoot it during the Here. pandemic. Their protocol, their safety protocols were through the roof. They would come to my house and do a PCR test, you know. Wow many days each week when I was working and I'm only in five, five of, of the first nine episodes. Um, 
if we go to a second season, I become a series regular, which is it's happening. It, oh, of the course. Second season I mean, how could it happening. not? And it's if you're genius. not watching, it's lavish. It's oh, it's decadent. Oh. It's it's dripping with Broadway, you know, pedigree. It, it's just this is it's Broadway really people throughout the entire thing. It's yeah. so wonderful to watch. It's beautiful. Yep. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm so excited for you. It's great. But I want to circle back to sort of the beginning of your career and school and and how you had the vision to take control of your career and how you moved forward. But I realize, and I have been called hashtag tangent queen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst at like just saying, oh, really? You asked this question? Here you go. Well, now we know the title of your episode. <laughs> the tangent queen. Yeah. And my first job was a Broadway job. Yeah. You had an exciting twenties. You had an exciting decade. Yeah. It was exciting, but Stephanie, it was confusing because I always thought I'd go to college, I'd study. And originally I was looking for a musical theater program. I was waitlisted in the musical theater program at at Carnegie Mellon. Mm -hmm. I was told I was number three on a waitlist. My second choice was NYU. Not work study, not loans, full ride to their drama department. But you wanted musical theater. No, well, I did. I wanted Carnegie Mellon if it was musical theater. But my second choice was to go to NYU and study with Stella Adler. Oh. That musical theater program. And there weren't a lot of musical theater programs in 1970. Dance? So it was either dance, music, or drama. There was no sort of amalgam yeah, of them. Maybe, yeah. maybe Cincinnati Conservatory existed, and for some reason, it uh, there was a music theater program there, and I wasn't aware of it. Okay, like I know people who were were contemporaries of mine who were in that program, but anyway, so I said, okay, that's not meant to be. And my parents were like, well, what are you talking about? Because I did, I did get a lot of support financially at NYU, but I also had work study, and I had. Um, loans to pay back. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just money that was being awarded to me. Um, and my parents did not understand it at all. They're like, why? why? And then I made my decision. I was very psyched. I knew somebody who was studying with Stella Adler. I would not have known who she was, but somebody who was three or four years older than me and who I'd done some theater with in up in the uh, Topsfield area um, and who I looked up to greatly, Ken Talberth. And he was, he was a mentor to me and a wonderful man. And he was studying with Stella and he had told me about her and he just said, you will change your life. So I had this, I was very determined that if it wasn't that, then what was meant to be was for me to really study with one of the greats who probably wouldn't be here for much longer. So I then, of course, in like June, got a call that I got bumped up and I could go to the musical theater program at Carnegie Mellon and have the full ride. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to NYU. I'm studying with Stella Adler. And so that was amazing, but incredibly intimidating. A lot of the kids in my class were kids who were a little bit older, who had transferred uh, into the program. And she was tough. Yeah, I bet. And really tough on women and really tough on young women. Um, and uh, I remember her saying at one point, um, stop waste, not to me directly, but to someone else, stop wasting your father's money, darling. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I was just like, oh, dear God. I'm so connected to her. She's I, still I, with you, huh? I, she, first of all, 
I didn't get a lot of what she was teaching me when I was 18, but I thank God I took copious notes because she was talking about, ah, the middle class, the middle class. You need to elevate yourself as an artist. You need to take in the world. You have a responsibility as an artist. And I'm so glad that I had somebody saying those things to me because I wasn't going to hear it from anyone else for a long time, Mm -hmm. but I was going to suddenly be in the business less than two years later. Mm-hmm. I was going to be, I was going to get a Broadway show. I was going to be a swing. God bless the swings. Oh, wow. I only had to cover three women who were like the, you know, the show stuff. Cause you did it. Drude. West, I know with Jason Alexander and oh, they're, they're playing, oh, they're playing our, our song. song. Yeah. So yeah. it was basically a two-hander with some backup singers. You sure, know, sure, sure. So I covered the three gals and, um, and then I was bored. Mm. And I felt so guilty. And I was barely making my rent. I think uh, the uh, I think I made 355 a week. And wow. that was my salary. And I, I, I moved out of my dorm. I tried to stay in school and it just rehearsals and classes because I got the job on my 20th birthday. Wow. Yeah, I got the call. I didn't even have a phone in my room. I got a message in my message box in the dorm um, lounge. I did that show. And then there was a point where I went, I need to leave. I need to find something I need to do. I didn't have an agent. Mm. I had a great time doing the show, but I wanted to act. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I was starting to do. I was starting to, let's just say, make a little bit more of what was what was needed in in my role as as one of the alter egos of Sonia Wolsk. Were and, you starting to embellish your role a little bit? Mm-hmm. Though? I was in that, I was playing her as like I mean, one night I was like, I'm Hedda Kepler. <laughs> I'm like, dripping I'm, with angst and drama back here. In this- <laughs> you know, and I, I would find a way to justify why Sonia needed that yes. aspect of her. Yes. Oh, that's hysterical. Anyway, so I. I left that show to do a show that I had a tiny, tiny role in at the Goodspeed Opera House. It was a new show. So I thought I'll get to work on it from the beginning. It was about the Mexican revolutionary, Emiliano Zapata. I was very tan at the time. Um, my hair was dark brown. Long, I had long, dark brown hair to, down my butt and um, a very round face. Uh, yeah. My friends used to call me Big Monk. Biggest face <laughs> on the world. Just a very, very round face. And, uh, and I met Sean Elliott. There at the good speed. And I had seen his work. I'd been very aware of him. I don't mean like a stalker, but he kept kind of coming into my life in interesting ways. Um, I saw him perform in Boston. Um, I was out on a date with somebody that I thought was like, well, I thought was going to be the first, you know. Sure, sure. And um, (laughs) protect that flower, young Murphy. What is it? what, honey? I said, protect that flower, young Donna Murphy. I was, I was. as an Irish. Were you all Catholic? Were you Irish Catholic? We were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We were raised. I mean, I'm a mutt. I'm Irish, German, French, Czech, um, and found out about eight years ago, twenty four percent Ashkenazi Jew. Which oh, so yeah, twenty four percent. That's yeah. that's substantial. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. 
exactly. Uh, but um, we were raised Irish Catholic, and I, I I loved the church until we moved up to Massachusetts, and the pastor of the parish we were in was very rigid. And I'd come from a... <laughs> Welcome to New England. <laughs> well, and, you know, Catholics were oh, a minority sure. in the town. You know, it was a very waspy town, and um, so... I just, I remember receiving communion and he said, you know, body of Christ, you have too much makeup on. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, makeup ticks from the priest. Thank you, father. (laughs) And I asked questions like during these um, uh, youth forums that we could have friend of mine's mom was divorced and she was the most religious person I knew. And my friend was always curious, why isn't she allowed to receive communion? She Mm -hmm. cries about it every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I raised my hand. I was kind of fearless at that time. And I just said, I'm just curious, somebody who is, you know, so loving of God and so devoted to the church and who was in, uh, if you're in a marriage and People are really unhappy and they're hurting each other and it's hurting the children. Why is divorce a sin that is so unforgiving that you can't, you you believe in in Christ and you want to accept that representation? Why is that? And he said, it's a sin. And these are things that you don't understand at this age. Did you ask that of the same priest that told you you had too much makeup on? Oh yeah, good for you. He was he, he was probably not a fan, <laughs> and I wasn't a fan. No, sorry. And my friend then burst into tears, and she was mad at me later. But I that was kind of it for me. I did what I had to do. My parents said, as long as you're in this house, you go to church, mm-hmm. yeah, get confirmed, and sure. then you can I did the whole thing. Yeah, yep. but I'm I haven't been a practicing Catholic um, since high school. Yeah. I would say I'm definitely a spiritual person. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because I, I too, I grew up in a Catholic household. We, we would go that's to church I, every Sunday. It made no sense to me. Often I would sit there and go, why are there only boys that are all, why, what do you mean? I came from a rib. It just made no sense to me at a very young age. So the minute I sort of didn't have to go, I stopped going, but I consider myself a super spiritual person looking at all of your social media posts and the things that you put out, you seem like a person who compassion, curiosity, connection are incredibly important things to you. What do you do that keeps you spiritually grounded? Cause you seem very grounded and very um, introspective. And so I wonder what, do you have a practice that you use to guide that part of yourself? I think that journey started in my twenties when I didn't have the church and the career was, people didn't know what to do with me in my 20s. You know, once I, I did that show, I met my husband, I fell in love. And I, I felt so kind of just ungrounded. Scattered. In my love for my husband and in my desire to, how can I express? How can I express? And I, I did, um, Anyway, I don't want to go off on yet another tangent. I do want to get back to one of the questions you've asked. (laughs) (laughs) At least one. Um, um, And I started reading Thomas Merton. Mm, I don't Uh, know him. Oh, 
You encourage it highly. Huge. Yeah. Um, the road less traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, Marianne Williamson. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. I love her. And those things started. What I felt was that it was just reconnecting me with something that I'd never lost. I'd always had. You know, it's so funny you say that. I don't mean to interrupt, but one of the phrases I always use in when I teach yoga is, you know, you're onto something when you feel like you are not hearing it for the first time, but remembering it. And it's this very distinct feeling that you get where you go, oh, I remember that. Yes, yes, yes. And you know it to be true. Yeah. It's beautiful. And that is true. And I, I did, um, I started trying to meditate, not successfully in my twenties. And then, um, and I started thinking I was going to leave the business, um, because I felt like I'm not getting opportunities to, to give what I feel like I have to give. I've learned better. Now people said to me, you're going to work your ass up in your thirties and forties. You just, people don't know what to do with you yeah. kind of physically. And, you know, I, without makeup, I looked like I, at one point I had very short hair and I looked like Edwin Drude. <laughs> you know, I, I looked like a young boy, Peter Pan. And with makeup, I looked like I was trying to be uh, like a, a, an Italian movie star or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, or, and, and people like I was cast to do the first national tour of nine and understudy Louisa. And I was like 20, I don't know, 23 or 24. And I didn't want to go on the road on a big tour. I didn't mind going off and doing a regional job, but for a few months, but not a tour because I was in love and I had a stepdaughter. I wasn't married yet, but we were living together. And right. Living is, There's a lot of things to consider. Now. Yeah. So, um, but as I moved forward in my life and started working more, um, there was a job that came up and you mentioned Star Trek and I, in being cast as that character, she was supposedly 375 years old or something. And mm-hmm. she lived on a planet that, you know, you, you reached maturity and then you didn't age any further. And I guess they thought that was the, my face was mature. <laughs> That's where it stopped. And, but she had, you know, this very centered and incredibly ethereal. Wise. You were really ethereal. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, what am I going to do to get myself there? So I studied meditation and I studied yoga. And it was the first mm. time. And I worked with one person one-on-one because um, I had very limited time to prepare. But I really felt like I have to be able to just walk this, you know, and breathe it. And it was one of the most beautiful times in my life preparing for it. Mm. Uh, to do the job. And I tried to carry it forward with me kind of in and out though, in my life, I have to say, but elements of the teachings of it stayed with me. Mm-hmm. And I will say that throughout the years, it's, it's a touchstone. I don't think I have the discipline that you have Mary Lee, as I've spoken to you. And as I've heard you speak um, about your yoga practice and Oh no, but, don't be fooled. I do not have a lot of discipline. <laughs> you know, we all, it's, we do it's we ebb can. and flow. There are times yeah. I'm very in and times I just feel so distant to me that I don't know how to get back to it. And then yeah. you yeah. come back. It saved yeah. me during uh, 
pandemic, I'll say. Uh, and and probably have, during the loss of your husband, it was probably a, a well, very I, helpful. I, I didn't have time. Oh, wow. I, I mean, the first few years I did, I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. I'm still figuring that out. And, you know, when you talk about the balancing of parenting, so obviously we, Sean and I, it was some time and I was in my thirties and my career was, I was having all kinds of wonderful opportunities and everything circles back to another question that you asked that I never completely answered or directly answered in that I made very conscious choices that I was not going to do what I'd just done. And mm-hmm. so I would turn down some wonderful opportunities, but it was like, no, I, I just played a, a brassy kind of gal or I just played, I mean, I did Drood and then I, I um, did the show Birds of Paradise and I played a very tomboyish character. And then agents were getting feedback that, you know, I, I wasn't really feminine enough for this or that and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, what, are you kidding me? So I did a one act play that I ran around in my lingerie, a, a, a fun play uh, with an incredible cast. Anyway, so I, I did that. Purposefully to no reset one, everybody's mindset. And so yeah. what was I getting calls for after that? Like Sexy. Sex. Of course. Yeah. To, to be a VJ on VH1. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, what? No, not what I am. And now what? <laughs> this is, I'm also dating myself, but hell, I'm 62 ladies. So I had to keep, it was fun. It's not like it was, it was not for me. Great. This is what I want to do anyway. Right. I yeah. don't. I was never, I want to explore different lives. I want to find out new things about the world and what it's like to, to walk in this person's shoes and yeah. go places I don't know of. But know for about. you to want to do that is exciting. For a casting director and a producer, oh. all of a sudden they consider it more work on their part. Mm-hmm. could be risky. I always find, Donna, there are performers that you walk into a theater you see their name on the billboard or the playbill and you go, okay, I know exactly what I'm getting tonight. Right. And sometimes that's very satisfying. I know I'm going in for this glorious glass of cold milk and it's going to taste like cold milk going down. That's what I came into the theater for. It filled me up. I left with what I expected. Then there are times where you look at an actor and you're like, Ooh, what are we in for tonight? What is the chef special? And you're the chef special. You just never know. You're always beyond satisfied and you're surprised by the flavors. And But it takes a team of other people who believe in you and support you and say, oh my God, let's do it. Let's give her and just see what happens instead of, uh, we know what this is going to taste like. And you know, I think it's going to work. It's going to be serviceable. Let's let's go this route. The thing is that I was very blessed in in that Sean, my husband, in having been in the business for a long time, and in before, as he used to say, throughout my twenties, when I was you know often frustrated and, as I said, seriously considering leaving the business and looking into other things, drama therapy, maybe going back mm-hmm. to school, maybe being an attorney. I had I just thought I want to be. I want to give to the world in a meaningful way. But he said, you know what, Donna, I know at, at a point it was like all people want to see me for are musicals. And I can't, I can't crack that that opportunity to just be seen as an actress who also sings. And uh, I, I wanted the opportunity to do that, to try that. And he said, you know when that's going to come? When the right role in the musical theater happens, 
And mm. people will not be able to deny that what they're watching is not just somebody standing center stage and belting their ass off or being wacky or standing still, you know, in a gorgeous gown mm. and glamorous. Yeah. It just is something. And, and, and also each step that you're taking, and Sean didn't say this to me, it was also spiritually, I was trusting each step, you're, you're where you need to be to get where you're meant to go. But once you find that spiritual centering, then all of a sudden the career then clicks in a similar way because of that settling of spirit, right? And then all of a sudden things do start to percolate Mm -hmm. and you go, the magic is happening. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that that spiritual journey and connectedness works side by side. Yes. It's about what you have to give as opposed to what you're going to get. That is exactly the key. How do I serve? Not only myself, but the world around me. And that, when you're doing that, that's when things start to click for you. But I want to ask you a question about motherhood. You had this flourishing career and then you adopted your child. How do you find that balance if that when you have such a young child, how did you continue on growing the career while growing the world for this beautiful little baby that just came into your life? I mean, that's a real balancing act. So it was quite a journey to, to that moment when we decided that we were going to adopt a child. Mm. I, I'm the oldest of seven children. I, the first five came in five and a half years. My mother is almost 93 and still alive to tell the tale. So I used to say, they're my babies too, mom. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, yep, yep, there you go. That's <laughs> why you were so grown up at 21. <laughs> and I, I did in certain ways mature very quickly. And I, I just, I realized there's always going to be somebody younger, cuter, needier than me. So you better get over that and find other ways that you are valuable. I mean, that's not what what I would have said at four or five years old, but that's what I was doing, you know, and my identity became very connected to my love of reading or taking in stories and hearing about other worlds, other lives, and then making them up, putting on little shows in our backyard and finding every access I could to singing and playing violin and playing accordion and playing piano. And if they didn't do musicals at Masconomic Junior High when I moved up there, then I sat down with the principal. I was a new kid at the school and sat down with the principal and said, why not? We yeah. can do this. I have an idea about how we can do this and not pay royalties. I mean, I had all Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I just, because my identity was already so wrapped up in storytelling, even though I was very social, I had lots of friends. I was creating something bigger than anything I could do by myself with all these other people. I did, I had a lot of responsibility in my family, although my father would sometimes say, what do you think you are, an only child? <laughs> Maybe like an only child. And my dad and I, I had a somewhat combative relationship through my through my teens. He had, was an alcoholic who then, you know, very bravely battled that and was sober for many decades before he passed away. Remarkable. Um, in 2011, he was responsible for seven children, his wife, and 
my great grandmother, my mother's grandmother, who moved in with us. We moved up to Massachusetts uh, because my dad was transferred and he was in the aerospace industry. And two years after he was transferred, they closed down the division that he was transferred to. And so my dad was out of work almost, well, the, the whole time I was in high school. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And That's I a lot was of stress. Angry yeah. as hell at him. And because I was scared. Yeah, so sure. Well, and because at 12 years old, it's hard enough to be 12, but to be 12 and then get uprooted and move to a place we don't know, that's a really difficult age right. for if that to happen. If you feel unsafe so sure. or fearful, yeah. then that's where you get cantankerous, right? And sure. that's where strained relationships begin, for sure. And what I was blessed to experience was by the time I went, but I mean, I swear it was like two months into my freshman year of college. I went, oh my God, this really is my own life. Mm. You're in your own boat. It took me a long time to get to that place where you go, wait, this is my life. I get to make decisions. Took me so long to realize that as a young woman. And it was the first time that I had empathy, or I don't know if it was empathy, but it was, I had sympathy. Mm-hmm. For, Big difference, right? And, between empathy yeah, and sympathy. I, wasn't, I don't know that I, I couldn't empathize with them. I wasn't parenting. Right. I, that, that came later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I suddenly went, wow, they have to handle so much and they are where they are. I didn't find out until I took him to breakfast one morning um, when I was visiting and I was about 20, 23 maybe. And I said, dad, I want you to tell me about that time from the time that I was, was actually, I think maybe I was in eighth grade and he was laid off from that, all those years, what did you do? Hmm. I I don't know if you want to hear all this. And I said, I want to hear all of it. And I love you so much. And I just, I want to know because I was so mean to you. (laughs) He said, oh, you were a kid. You, You had big dreams and you were, so anyway, um, but did you always have that, that mama heart then that maternal heart? Well, I sort of had to have it to, I wasn't ready for it when I was really young. Yeah. Cause it was just all, it was all those kids. As I said, it was just, it was very quick and that there were so, there was always a baby, you know, right. and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time I was, as I said, by the time the sixth and seventh Kate and Kevin were born, I was, I did, I just adored these babies and I was now not a baby. So some of it was survival, you know, it was a a strategy (laughs) to survive. And, and it was a a maturity that I think I somehow came into this life with. Um, And I did have this sort of single minded purpose that I really felt I was meant to, to express through storytelling. Yeah. It was a calling Yeah, to my singing and to my, and to acting. And, and I thought maybe directing it, it hasn't, that hasn't happened, but to get to, to wind back to (laughs) I, I remember saying to my mom when I was about seven years old, you know, mom, I'm not getting married until I'm like, I don't know, 35, 40 years old because I have a lot to do and I don't want to have to worry about everybody that I need to take care of, um, including a husband. (laughs) 
Um, and I said, and I probably will adopt two Korean children. And my wow. mom was like, really? And my mom had said, you know, I think just before she had her six and seventh, maybe when this batch is, is older, <laughs> that we might, maybe we'll adopt a child and maybe it'll be a child from Korea. So that seed had been planted. Mm-hmm. So saying that, and then I fell in love at 21 with a man <laughs> who had two daughters, one of whom was, as we used to say, dangerously close to my age. And, um, who he had adopted when she was a baby and when he married her, her uh, mom. And the other was four and a half years old. Wow. So as she said, I was one of her parents. There was already this sense of a responsibility beyond myself and the other grown up who lived in my household and who I loved dearly. And decisions were made that were career related for both of us that had to be weighed with the responsibility that we had to um, as caregivers, particularly yeah. uh, Justine, my younger stepdaughter. And um, so we had kind of a deal that, you know, I remember we were actually both doing like eight shows a week um, wow. on, either on Broadway. I may have been doing song of Singapore, which was an off Broadway show. And he was doing city of angels. Um, so I had said to my husband, I think I'm going to want to have a child, but not for a while. And how's that going to work here? How would that possibly work? And he said, I'm open. I yeah. put it off for a long time because, you know, and she, there was a point where we were, I was in my mid thirties and Sean was like, uh, TikTok, TikTok. I mean, he wasn't really talking to my TikTok, although he, it was, it was relevant. Um, he was talking about his own TikTok, you know, sure. he said, I, I want to be able to toss the ball. I want to be able to you know, all those things. I, I want to be really present. And so, and I was like, it's just this moment I'm having all these opportunities. I don't feel like I can step away to be the kind of mother I want to be. And Mm -hmm. I, I know what's required and I'm not, I'm not going to be the mother my mom was. It's not that situation, but I have been co-parenting Justine and there's a lot involved in being <laughs> yeah. present. And he and I were already, already making decisions about, okay, you're going out of town. I need to stay here. Uh, if we're both doing Broadway shows, then we're not going to take also a guest spot on a TV thing that's offered to us because we, there's just only so much time in a day. That's and right. we need to have time for her. It's so important. And even when she's in high school, they need you in other ways. That's right. Yeah that are very, very important. So, uh, but finally, you know, in my forties, um, I decided that I really, I mean, we, we went through it. We went, we were in therapy together. Do we want to have a child? Do we not? Because he was at a point where he's going, maybe not, maybe it's too late. And I was saying, Oh no, don't say that. And we've been together for 20 years, over 20 years. Um, and we really sorted through, like, sort of imagining life, not without a child, because we already had children in our lives, but without yeah. bringing another child into our lives. We did decide, you know, to try to have a child. And I had several miscarriages. I never did IVF, but I did have to do a lot of bed rest and mm. pull out of shows, postpone shows. It was a complicated journey and and grieving, you know. Yeah, um, sure. 
But I, I kept saying to Sean, I believe the spirit is trying to come to us. And I always had thought about adopting. And when we were young, when we were younger in our relationship, I thought, God, boy, it would be great to have it to, to, to birth a child of ours and also to adopt a child. I would love to do that. And that's just not how it worked out. But ultimately, we adopted this beautiful spirit. You know, I've said to her, I said it to him, and I tell myself every day, we were always meant to be together. Mm. We were always meant to be together. And so the responsibility of, of trying to balance career and parenting, once Darmy was in our lives, it was kind of magical what happened because I lined up some film work. I had to pull out of like a big Sondheim concert. I had to pull out of a play that I thought I was going to be able to do which we brought her home when she was six and a half months old. And when she was eight and a half months old, I was on the set of World Trade Center, but it was shooting here. And I said, I have to work here. I have to work here. Um, and, and Sean was healthy and home and able and to help work that all out. I mean, yeah. he, was, oh, he was just awesome. And he was working. He was doing television and theater and he was, tra- he was doing more traveling because I just, I didn't want to leave and he didn't really want to leave either, but you know, we were doing our job. It was different because I said, I don't see myself making a commitment to eight shows a week above the title in a Broadway show and signing a year's contract or even a nine month contract. And I thought if I never work again and can find another way to, you know, uh, earn my keep and, and support my family, um, that's okay because I've had this experience. Um, but it things just were kind of flowing. And then Sean had his first health crisis when Darmia was four going on five, close to turning five. Sean was ill for six and a half years before he died with three major different illnesses and ultimately the stage four stomach cancer that took his life. That's a lot with a little one in the house. That, that is, is a lot to juggle. You know. yeah. I was trying to work just enough to keep our insurance. One of my sisters came down and then my sister-in-law came down and it was not easy. And with my girl, while daddy was sick and had to go to the hospital and he would come home and she actually wanted to like be his nurse. And I was talking to a therapist about, you know, I mean, she's very interested and she must be a vet, but at that time she thought she wanted to be a doctor. And so she was like, bring home the the materials gauze and sure. the swabs and the, the stethoscope and all that yeah. to, you know we had to like change his IV and it was like no I don't <sighs> want her involved in that I don't no. want her identifying as a caregiver and on the <laughs> other side of that you want Sean to be home in a quiet space where he can heal and gain strength, but you have an unbridled four and a half year old. So there is this crazy, I'm sure, ecosystem where you're trying to balance both of your loved ones who are in completely different spectrums and make it a cohesive home, you know? But also giving her a sense of being able to be helpful, like, oh, this is your really, really important job, you know? Yeah. 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 So we did find, you know, I remember talking with therapists that are a family therapist I was working with about what are those things where she can feel like she's helping? Yeah. You said one thing that really touched me and it was the only thing that I could hear that could just let me breathe again and make sense of it all. And 
I actually lost a child during Drood. I was miscarrying, singing, writing on the wall, singing lyrics of holding on to life and not giving up. And every, and I was cramping and bleeding and going, I am losing this baby right now. It was a real rough time. And that was one of those moments. And you try to wrap your head around it. And it just didn't until my voice teacher literally said, you understand, you're not losing these babies. There's a little voice up there saying, she's not yours. There's another, there's another mama for you. There's another person out there for you. That was the only thing that could um, let me find peace. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for, again, you reiterated it in such a way with Darmia saying, you know, all of these souls were supposed to be together. And I so deeply, deeply believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Has Darmia always come to see your shows? The first time she saw me perform, I was just like singing at at one of those wall-to-wall songs. It was wall-to-wall Sondheim at Symphony Space. Mm -hmm. And I was singing Losing My Mind. And Mm -hmm. we live a few blocks from there. And Sean walked her over. I said, can you come? I always, he's the person I trusted to come to the sound check, come, you know, come to the first invited whatever of anything. They'd let him in the theater and be at rehearsal. Anyway, he brought her over and I was singing. And all of a sudden I hear, why my mommy so sad? Oh, Oh. (laughs) and he took her out. (laughs) (laughs) Why my mommy so sad? And when she saw, for instance, um, Tangled, I was very worried about that because I was playing... Mother yes, who was a villain, and yes, super excited while I was preparing to do that. That I was doing a Disney movie, and she had grown up on a lot of Disney, my, Disney from my time, from what I saw as a kid, and then also the resurgence of Disney. You know, Little Mermaid, and yeah, the Renaissance films, of course. Yeah. Yep, to all those, and and so it was very exciting. But we were really nervous about this character, the nature of, you know, who yeah. she was and Mother Gothel. Um, and, but we told her a lot about it before she saw it. And we watched it actually up at near the, one of the theaters at, at North Shore, uh, uh, Liberty Tree Mall up in Massachusetts. <laughs> Day after Thanksgiving with my, like all my Murphy family I was up there for the holidays. Grandma and Pop-Pop and we put Darmy and I on the aisle and I'd seen it at a screening uh, but it wasn't completely finished at the time. So it was my first time seeing it too. And Darmia was great through it because we had taken her through so much of it, but I kind of forgot to tell her that the character died. Oh, oh no. Ah. Watching it, she would, she would just like, sometimes she turned to me, she goes, you're funny <laughs> when you're mean. <laughs> you're funny when you're mean. She was five, I guess, mm. or six. I guess about five, five and a half. And, um, and then at the very end, when Gothel dies, dies, yeah. dies, as she deserves to do, and she disintegrates, she, yeah. she disintegrates, you see her disintegrate, and go, falls out a window, and long scream, and Darmy's like, no! Oh. And I had to just run her out of the theater. <laughs> and um, my mother is telling everybody, my ma- my daughter is the boy <laughs> and that's her daughter, and it must have been very scary for her. <laughs> and, 
And now, our five questions. If you could have any question answered, what would your question be? Well, this is something I want to know and I don't want to know. What happens to not our bodily selves, but our spiritual selves when we leave this plane? Mm-hmm. You know, I have ideas about it, hopes about it. So that's the big question. It is well, question. in yoga, there is no Sanskrit word for death or time. They don't exist. Yeah. Mm. If we were to walk into your closet, is there a garment or an item, piece of jewelry that you will save forever? Sean gave me beautiful jewelry, not like diamonds and pearls and just always really interesting things that were in the cameo collection Mm. that he gave me. So. All of those, everything he ever, he ever gave me in that way. Because of the care that went into his selection. And the other thing is this little pair of shoes that I have that were handmade for me in Italy. They were Fosca slippers. Mm, um, special. They were the softest black leather and they had the most intricate embroidery. And they're still these soft and I still wear them. So like I, I wear them for certain auditions. I don't feel like Fosca in them. I, you know, I sort of like. But they ground you in a certain way. Ground mm. me and they, they allow me to sort of journey to another place. And I trust being in those shoes. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. What was your childhood nickname? Who gave it to you and why? I had a few. I had, um. My junior high science teacher, Joe Casey, who was like just a jock, you know what I mean? He, he was a great <laughs> science teacher. He was very, very funny. So he knew I sang and he would say, oh, you didn't finish your homework because you were, what'd you have, a gig? Did you have a gig? <laughs> <laughs> no. Or I'd say, he called me Murph, but everybody called me Murph. But then he said, he called me Chirp. Chirp. Oh. Oh. So that began Chirp. That's very, very sweet. Yeah. Donna, if you could have, um, you have so many skills, but if you could be proficient, a master at any other skill, worldly or otherwise, what would it be? Cure cancer. Mm. Uh, We've never had that answer, and I'm surprised we haven't. It's not just my husband. My father died of uh, glioblastoma. My best friend, Marin. Yeah. And it goes on and on and on. I just feel like, and uh, that's a beautiful one. Okay. It. If you were a nail polish color, what color would you be? What would the cute little name be? Okay. So I think it would be like an opalescent in different light. Has all the colors. colors mm. You know, reflected and or emitted different colors. Mm-hmm. And I would call it chameleon queen. Oh, I love that. Yes. (laughs) You are a joy. Glorious. Glorious. I can't thank you enough for coming on and joining us and being a part of this. And bless you guys. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after this break? Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Our theme song says, love where you are now, but sometimes we all need a little help. I've learned from therapy and in my yoga practice that growth comes from challenges. A good therapist can help you reframe the way you look at a challenge and your life. And BetterHelp can provide you with a therapist that gives you some tools to navigate. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can reach a therapist in under 48 hours. And right now, Stages cast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp, so don't wait. Remember, when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash stages, and love where you are now. So she's just amazing. First of all, the reason she even came on the show was because she had tweeted something out about an episode that a friend of hers was in. And I just reached out to her. I did not know her. Reached out and said, how would you like to come on? And she answered, I would love to come on. And just started emailing back and forth. Now I feel like I know her. She's so lovely, so open, but her talent is ridiculous. And she really does have one of those careers that I always dreamed of having where you just, you're literally Broadway royalty, but you can walk down the street and not be yeah. accosted. And yeah, we didn't say that just for her sake. We we're not kidding. When we were prepping for this conversation, both Mary Lee and I said, if we really could shape, you know, what our careers might look like, would we'd like them to look it was it yeah. was this career. And then to have her talk about the choices that she made. And she made those choices um, with consideration and pointedly, you know, for herself. That takes bravery. She has had that uh, foresight and guts to raise her hand and say, um... Can that I question, for me. Yeah. quote unquote, authority or um, I have a couple of ideas about what this should be or look like. And in doing that, man, the agency that you have over yeah. her, over one's life, not just a career, over one's life. Yep. Um, it's enviable. Yeah, she's really something. But when she was talking about how she first got into yoga and all of that, it, it reminded me of the experience that happened to me when I first realized how important yoga was, um, my dad was very, very ill. And I had just started doing yoga classes and I was in this class and he was having us do camel, which is like a back bend where you sort of, you lean back and you hold your heels. And so it's a big, big heart opener. So I'm in this camel pose and I literally, I got really dizzy and I thought I was going to throw up. So I came out of the pose and I like sat on the mat and he came over and he whispered, are you okay? And I said, no, I think, I think I'm a little bit, uh, I think I might be sick. And he said, get back in the pose. I'm going to help you. And I was like, I don't want to get back in the pose. I think I'm going to throw up. And he said, trust me and get back in the pose. And he made me get back in the pose and he put his hand on my back and he, and he, and he said, just take a deep breath and let it out. And I burst into tears. Wow like sobbing tears. Like I had to pick up my mat, go to the corner of the room. And he's like, don't leave, just go sit back there. And after class, I said, what was that? And he said, what's going on in your life? And I said, well, my dad is, is really sick. He's dying. And he said, oh yeah, yeah. You need to get in that pose every day, get in that pose every day, go through the sickness into the tears because your body is holding all of that. Mm. 
You're going to get sick if your body holds all of that. Get in this pose every day and have a cry. And that was the day I realized, whoa, yoga is more than yeah, having a nice butt. Yoga is really your limbs. Like, yeah. Wow. And that was sort of what set me into becoming a yoga teacher was that class and that teacher. Wow. Anyway, that kind of came up for me when she was talking about how she was practicing yoga and meditation and to prep for a part. And then she realized how important it was in it's her life. far more than, yeah. than just that. Yeah. And she seems to have lived, I find this about a lot of artists, but she really did embody it, L- lived several lives. Yeah. I think we underestimate, again, we use the word play. I think a lot of people from the outside looking in, um, they consider artists kind of frivolous or, you know, we just go to work, put on lipstick and, and become because of the wig or the corset or whatever. And I will truly say, and I have, you know, been in relationships with doctors. I've been on boards with um, executives and, and business geniuses, quote unquote, some of the most intellectual, deep smart people are artists, are Mm -hmm. actors. The way they can communicate on so many different issues and um, subject matter, I find it to be extraordinary. And I do believe it is because she referred to this, was it Stella Adler? Some teacher that said, you've got to learn about humanity. You've Mm -hmm. got to look at the blue collar worker. You've got to pay attention to. And that is, I know I keep preaching it, But I truly believe if you can be aware of the world around you on a really cellular level, it will come through. It doesn't matter what work you do. It will come through your work in a way that will set you apart, that will make you noticeable, that will make you accessible. It will be different because of how you pay attention living your life. And I feel that Donna has done that. And I can feel it in every part she she plays and whether yeah. it is a voiceover role or whether it is a sci-fi role or something that t- touched me deeply was her of course her fosca in impression um but if you don't have that humanity or awareness and then be able to translate it on the inside to then beautifully regurgitate it and translate it again to go out and touch your audience yeah that's skill that's we call it play and we do have fun, but there is depth and skill to it. And I, yeah. um, God, I, I respect her greatly. Oh, same, same. It was, it was wonderful talking to her. And I am today going to download The Road Less Traveled and, and do that again. Great. I haven't read it in a long time. Another thing that also came to me and I wanted to ask her, but I thought, nah, that'd be cheeky, that the beautiful um, collection of cameos she said Sean had given to her. And I was like, Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful if that did show up on one of Mrs. Astor's costumes, you know, to have that personal piece on a, on a costume, but maybe they are just so precious to her that she doesn't want them out Mm. and out in the world in that way. Mm. All right, my friend, this was such a great morning. Me too. I felt the same. Thank you. Thank you for bringing her in. Hi, Donna. Thanks. We're fans. Thank you. We love you. Goodbye.
So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music, Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo, Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer, and Alison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week. <laughs>